Let's turn to Acts chapter 9, and we'll have just a short reading from that passage. We'll begin in verse 10 and finish after the first part of verse 19. Just have an accompanying reading here since we have such a short preaching passage that we'll look at in Psalm 116. But it's interesting, boys and girls, here after the Apostle Paul is converted, one of the first things we're told about Paul as a converted man was that he called upon God in prayer. And so that's the connecting point with Psalm 116. Paul is a man of prayer from the very beginning, and just like Psalm 116 encourages us to call upon God in prayer, so too we can see the apostle as a model of that himself. So it tells us in Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 10, Now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise, and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his, sights, his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. So Psalm 116 is what we'll look at in verses 1 and 2 this morning. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for Acts chapter 9 and the conversion of Paul, Saul, and we thank you for Psalm 116 and something that we can own ourselves. So answer our prayer by adding your blessing to the ministry of your word, and may each of us, O Lord, from the youngest to the oldest and all in between, have what is needed through this ministry with your blessing, that it might meet us where we are, that it might strengthen us on this day and that it might serve, Lord, with that blessing that you alone can provide for strength and encouragement in these coming days. So answer our prayer, and bless, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, once more we have a devotional-style sermon in connection with the administration of the Lord's Supper. We've been doing that for a little while now, a few years, I would think, and I hope it's been a blessing for you. I know I enjoy 
a special time of study and preparation and writing these sermons. They're a little different from the pastor's perspective than maybe something more typical during the course of the ministry of the Word. And as you know, and I'll make reference to this periodically throughout the course of the year, but as you know, I've encouraged all of us to memorize Psalm 116 here in 2024. No pressure, of course. Just an opportunity, just an encouragement. No brownie points or gold stars if you do it, and no one's going to look down on you if you don't do it. The opening of Psalm 116 is absolutely fabulous. It sets the context for the whole psalm. It gives us the background of what's in view in terms of the occasion for the psalm having been written. It's a a great deliverance that God provided for the believer here in this psalm. And it's phrased, just like the whole psalm is, as something that all of us can own for ourselves. That's that first-person language. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore, I will call on him as long as as I live. So if you've already started memorizing Psalm 116, it's not just written by David or whoever it may have been. It's an anonymous psalm. Maybe David, probably most say. But it can be your psalm. And it can be my psalm as well. So let's keep some of that with us as we look at the opening two verses here in Psalm 116. Doing so as we interact with the way these verses also help us prepare for the Lord's Supper as we eat and drink together in remembrance of Jesus. If you have the insert, you can see the theme and points there. The thankful believer tells everyone why he is so thankful. And to follow along, we'll look at first, that first use of the word because, which is the because of reason, and then the second use of the word because, which is one of consequence. So, As things open up, that first use of the word because is the because of reason. So a couple of things as we look at verse 1 for just a minute here. Notice there's affirmation language that verse 1 starts out with. I love the Lord. That's a statement of affirmation. And secondly, look at the stated reason for that affirmation. It's twofold but really they're parallel statements. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. So as far as the affirmation language goes at the beginning, I love the Lord, that's a simple and yet that's a a profound thing to say, isn't it? I love the Lord. To say that is evidence that grace has been given It's evidence that grace has been received. It's evidence that grace is in action in the psalmist's life. And if you say that, and if I say that from the heart, it's evidence of all of those things for each of us as well. And the Lord's Supper connotes, it shows those same things, grace given, grace received, grace in action, because the Lord's Supper is a testimony of all of that to us. And because God has loved us first, in Jesus Christ, and he has done that freely and undeservedly, we now respond from the heart, and we say together, I love the Lord. Is that your your confession, congregation? I love the Lord 
We all should say that, right? He is worthy of our love. He is deserving of our love. And think of it this way. In loving the Lord, we find our foothold in life, and we find a firm foundation to stand upon, and we find the fulfillment and the desire of our hearts. That famous question in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, what is the chief end of man? Many of you know the answer. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Well, part of that is to say, I love the Lord. So when the elements are distributed and we eat and drink together in remembrance of Christ, do so with that love for the Lord welling up and rising up in your heart. Because in, in one regard, since the Lord's Supper is something we actively participate in together, it's our confession of faith. And we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. So come to the table this morning. Come eagerly. Come humbly. Come believingly. And come to take that bread and to receive that wine in the name of Jesus Christ for your spiritual strength and encouragement. Looking back at verse 1, we see that stated reason for that opening affirmation, right? That twofold, because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. So here's the key with that first use of the word because. It's one of reason. This is why the psalmist tells us that he loves the Lord. Because of these two things, as I mentioned, they're parallel. And they outline with brevity and with clarity exactly what the thankful believer here has in mind when he makes that confession and that statement of affirmation, I love the Lord. The voice that he mentions, boys and girls, that word voice most likely refers to a prayer that was uttered. And that phrase, please for mercy, then specifies the particular kind of prayer that was offered. A prayer for help, a prayer for rescue, a prayer for deliverance, a prayer for salvation. If you've gone on to memorize Psalm 116 already, you can see that need in verses 2 and 3. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. And when we cry out to God like that congregation, with that kind of a prayer in Jesus' name, deliver my soul, he answers, doesn't he? He answers every single time to every single person who cries out and asks for mercy. Maybe for the psalmist, maybe that was deliverance in a battle. Maybe it was, if it was David, for example, perhaps it was one of the deliverances that God provided for him when Saul was after him a plot against his life. It doesn't specify exactly, but it was something significant and something important and something desperately needed. Well, for us, the connecting point is this. The answer that we need for deliverance, most of all, is the deliverance from sin. Deliverance from the threats of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And in Christ, congregation, God provides that kind of deliverance in its fullest and freest measure. And he promises to stretch out his hand by the power of the Holy Spirit and to give mercy to everyone who asks and pleads for it. And the Lord's Supper, it shows us those very things, doesn't it? The Lord's Supper is a sign and seal 
that God has heard our voice and has answered our pleas for mercy. So this morning, see mercy on display in the bread and in the wine. Handle the mercy that God has for you in Christ as you touch those things and as you taste them and internalize those holy tokens of our Lord's body and blood. And as you do, say with confidence, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because the Lord's Supper, it shows that, it signifies that, it seals that to us. I want you to know that. I want you to believe that. And I want you to eat and drink together with me in the knowledge and in the faith that Jesus is indeed a sufficient Savior for everyone who trusts him according to the gospel promise. The second use of the word because in verse 2 here is the because of consequence. I thought about maybe calling that the because of result because you have the reason and now you have the result. But consequence, I think, is a little... makes it a little more clearly stated, I think. Look at verse 2. The word therefore needs to be understood properly. And you remember the phrase, whenever you see the word therefore, ask what it's there for. Here it indicates that language of consequence. And to understand that emphasizes the word because at the beginning of the verse. Because he inclined his ear to me, Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. So in a sense, boys and girls, what what the psalmist is saying, and what our confession of faith says as well, is that the Lord's faithfulness in the past gives us confidence as we look to the future. Think about that. The Lord's faithfulness in the past gives us confidence as we look to the future. So we can trust him, in the future, we can depend upon him in the future, we can live for him in the future, and we can look to him in the future, knowing that since his faithfulness in the past provides the context for all of those things in the future. With that word, therefore, in the middle of the verse, let me say this. It's not the typical word in Hebrew that is used for therefore. In fact, it's just a one-letter conjunction tacked on to the beginning of the word, and usually it's translated as and, but here it gets that translation of therefore, or because, or or, therefore rather, or so. It could mean so or therefore, because he inclined his ear to me, so I will call on him as long as I live. And we connect that word therefore in that way with that word because at the beginning we have that idea of consequence. So the psalmist, has the stated reason for the spiritual resolve here in verse 2. I love the Lord because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. So how about us? How about you? And how about me? How often do we keep in the front of our mind the things that God has done for us? How often do we seek to intentionally recognize the Lord's faithfulness to us in the past as that which sets the tone for the future? And if we do that, do we follow, like Psalm 116 verse 2 gives us a model, do we follow 
And then resolve, of course, in faith and in humility, not in the flesh or anything like that. But do we resolve then to respond accordingly to all of what God has done? Here's a suggestion. And I, I take this for myself, and I plan to do it in some fashion this coming week. Just a suggestion. Take time this week and write out on a piece of paper a list of the things that the Lord has done for you. Maybe think back to your conversion or to the point in your life in the past where you really came to faith in Jesus Christ. A public profession of faith, let's say, although I know I've talked with people over the years who say when they made a public profession of faith, they genuinely thought they believed, and then later on in life, they actually came to know that they believed. So maybe it's something like that. But look, look back when it was when God brought you to saving faith in Jesus Christ, or when you came to have a real sense and resolve of that gospel promise in your heart. Maybe write out different ways in which God has answered specific prayers that you have offered. Maybe write out different ways in which God has given good providence in your life in the midst of trials and troubles that abound. Maybe there's other things you could make a list of that you have seen and that you have enjoyed and that you have experienced. In all of those things, congregation, you and me, if we write out lists like that, we will be able to see how God has inclined his ear to us. We'll see how he's looked upon us with pity and with compassion. We'll see how for Jesus' sake, God has incorporated us into the body that is called the church and he has made us to be part, along with so many others, of this worldwide work of redemption and salvation that will result in the fullness of a coming kingdom. And as we partake with those things in mind and in heart of the Lord's Supper this morning, we'll be strengthened, we'll be encouraged, and we'll be reminded of what great work has been done for us. And all of those things will prepare us for the week that lies ahead. And to that point, that word because at the beginning of verse 2 points to the consequence or the result of things going forward from here. Because the psalmist is saying, and we should too, that now that God has given me that testimony of answering my voice and my pleas for mercy, because he inclined his ear to me, from now on, I'm going to live for him. I'm going to call on his name. So the connective tissue is that there's the assurance that a prayer has been answered, and then that drives the psalmist forward as he looks to the future, trusting in the Lord's faithfulness to care for him, to bless him, to provide for him, and to show himself the Lord as one who is dependable. So let me wind down things like this. And I need to remember this. Like I, I, tend to be a, I tend to be a creature who's captured by the moment. What's the phrase I would think of? It's uh, being a prisoner of the moment. Do you know that phrase? I, I find myself being a prisoner of the moment too often. And I need to look back at what God has done for me in the past to liberate me from being a prisoner of the moment so that I can look to the future with confidence. Because being a prisoner of the moment, at least for me, it, it's something that it's like spiritual shackles that tends to discourage and cause despair. 
So don't look to the past, or don't look to the moment, but look to the past and see God's faithfulness and let that prepare you for the future. Don't forget what God has done for you, congregation, and let that light the moment and let that light the pathway. There's every opportunity for every one of us to see ample testimony to God's faithfulness in each of our lives. That's true for all of us adults. That's true for you boys and girls. And that's true for the young people among us as well. That phrase in verse 2, look at it. He inclined his ear to me. It's a very emphatic phrase. It's a verbal system in the Hebrew that speaks with emphasis. It's as though it could be translated, he caused his ear to be stretched out to me. That's the idea there. Something God was intentional about in answering the psalmist's prayer. So God has not left himself without witness in any of our lives. He's been intentional about establishing himself as faithful and dependable to us. And the Lord's Supper, it brings that very promise home to us in a very intimate, personal, and tender way. The Lord's Supper, congregation, is a concrete example of God's blessings and care to you and to me. So as we gather around the table and as the elements are distributed this morning, may all of your doubts disappear. May your faith be strengthened all the more so. May your heart be drawn to Jesus in love and in praise. May you have a greater enjoyment and experience of the salvation that he has given to you. And may you be filled with grace Grace that establishes your heart and that guards you and that keeps you safe and secure. And may all of us go forth this morning with these words of verses 1 and 2 in our hearts and in our mouths. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are so very thankful for your word. We're thankful for a confident confession that we can make. And we're thankful that we don't do that of our own strength, but that you have led us to say those things. So may it spring forth from a heart that has been touched by your grace. And as we consider these things together, O oh Lord, may you be glorified and praised, and may your work of ongoing salvation in each of our lives be furthered as we anticipate the finish, the finish to all of that on the day of our Lord Jesus and of his return. So make it so, and hear our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.